0: spine, how books are put together. I'm your host, cover designer Holly Dunn, and in today's podcast I'm talking with Paul Buckley. Paul is the Vice President Executive Creative Director of Penguin, so probably requires little introduction. You'll be familiar with his work through projects such as the Penguin Drop Cap series, the Penguin Black Spines, Deluxe Classics, and many more. Just before we get into the interview, I want to mention Paul's book, Classic Penguin Cover to Cover, which is what I referred to when researching for this project. If you enjoy what you hear here, you will love this book. It goes into great depth on particular series and titles within those series. And it's a wonderful resource. Without further ado, here's Paul Buckley.
1: I grew up in an artistic family. I would say, at about age seven maybe, I started uh, dabbling in uh, charcoal pencils, magic markers, which were always around the house because um, my father was like a, a classic madman Men advertising um, art director for NWR in New York City. So, um, you know, while other kids were uh, being given, you know, Curious George books and all kinds of, you know, cat in a hat type things. He, he would be bringing home uh, society of illustrators books for me or uh, different books on uh, different painters. Yeah. I sort of um, was lucky in the sense um, that I, I had this parent and I was able to, and he, he was able to recognize that um, I had a keen interest in this and, and foster that within me. So, I mean, I, I had a um, a dual interest when I was a child. I was I really sort of wanted to be a herpetologist, um, and at the same time I was pursuing art. and And herpetology, for for folks that don't know, is the study of reptiles and amphibians. And I had always kept a, a bunch of various animals in the house, and I was pretty sure I was going to grow up to to be a biologist. At age seventeen. Um, I got a job uh, in a small advertising uh, studio in New York City, and I started commuting um, back and forth doing like old school paste ups. I'm going to age myself on this, but I, I run a stat machine. Uh, things like rubber cement and T squares and triangles, where we used to literally cut type and and move it with tweezers. There were no computers, so I I, I started that way and in and in, you know from the ground up changing chemicals in the the stat machine. And I used to wash my hands with thinner, thinking that it, you know, felt like it really cleaned them. I probably will get hand cancer at some point, but I, I started going to college. Uh, two or three days a week, and the other two or three days a week, I was commuting from outside Philly uh, to New York City as a kid. And then I eventually um, landed a scholarship to School of Visual Arts in New York City, and at 20, moved there full time, stopped the commuting, and just you know moved full time um, and, and went straight into illustration, which you know was sort of what I was eating, breathing, sleeping at that point and started right away to have a freelance um, illustration career. At the same time, um, in, in that studio, I had been learning design skills, and I started also getting freelance design work. And sometimes the two were, were combined. I might, you know, for instance, at one point, I was working for New York Magazine freelance, and I would be doing illustration mm-hmm. for them at, on the side as well. So I had these sort of dual paths going, and I would say – at around 23 or 24, I started to fall out of love with illustration and fell, fall more deeply in love with design. I, I had a good freelance career going, but it didn't fit the leanings of my personality that well. I'm a, a very much a night owl. And then I I would get up, you know, at noon and then do it all over again until three or four in the morning the next night. And it just, it was not conducive, and I was not disciplined enough to sort of keep uh, regular hours. Um, at some point, I took um, a road trip to Mexico, Belize, Guatemala, and on the way back, I needed to pay my rent. And a family member related to one of to my studio manager in that first studio when I was seventeen mentioned that there was a job open in this in this publishing company called NAL in the mass market department. And I figured I'd give it a shot at least till I got back on my feet, um, you know, for six months or so. And it sort of just really felt like a glove. And I, I sort of, you know, I'd always loved books, but for some reason I'd never really thought about doing design full time as a as a career. And I I really enjoyed it, and and it sort of pulled, helped me pull my life together in a more healthy way. But a few months into it. I asked the trade art director if I could switch into his department, and my mass market art directors, you know, sort of blessed that and let me go. And it sort of just was a real fit at that point. Of course, at first I, I did try to illustrate every book I worked on, and I, I did that for a while. But then I eventually stopped and realized I need to focus on learning typography and and true design, and and that you know, becoming an art director, if that was a goal, I had to realize that there were other people that could possibly do these jobs uh, better than myself and that I needed to stop using myself as an illustrator so so consistently. And then, you know, sort of when I let the mantle of illustration go, it was a real weight off my shoulders. And um, I just really threw myself full time into the discipline of design. And then that company merged with another company, which eventually merged with Penguin. And three mergers later, here I am, um, 29 years later. It's a long answer to your short question.
0: No, that's fantastic. Um, so that, that first job, was that purely cover design? Or did you do other things as well?
1: Yeah, it was a junior design um, position. I think I started off at maybe 22 grand a year. It was sort of, in a sense, what I'm doing today, which was a variety of... Of books, um, you come in every day and a topic is different. And one day you're working on fiction, one day you're working on nonfiction. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm much more management at this this point. But the, the 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 sort of singular job of when you're designing, I mean, designing a book cover is designing a book cover. It has its threads throughout, but it changes. Yeah, that's. I think I'm wavering a little bit, but that's that's yeah, that's what I was doing. I was I was designing book covers. I mean, of course, I had a lot more. Verso and mechanical type work and that sort of thing. Um, but no, I was I was thrown straight into designing covers. Maybe I was very lucky that way.
0: And has the, the herpetology stuff ever come back into your design? Have, have you ever found yourself going back to that? Um, you know, I,
1: I've done a number of, of books over the over the years that have herpetology as a topic, and I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed them because I'm so knowledgeable on it. Um, what I did, what, what the design career did allow me to do was uh, for a blip in time I was able to explore a dream I had which was uh, to become a uh, professional breeder which I did for a number of years of of high-end snakes. I never made any money because the hobby cost me so much money. I, I would say I lost money every year but for a good five or six years there every weekend I was taking care of more snakes than I will say on a in a public venue like this. I, and um, I had a really, really good time and I, I learned a lot about something that um, I've always been fascinated in. And then when I put it behind me, I was really glad to put it behind me. And now I own nothing but a dog. But I still, you know, I, I go hiking constantly with my wife and, uh, you know, I'm always flipping over logs and rocks to see what's underneath. It's sort of, you know, the way the, some people are fascinated with horses or birds. I will always uh, be fascinated by uh, reptiles and amphibians. It's just sort of a, a, a deep-seated, like, I, I think it's actually my earliest memory as a child watching Jimmy Juno walk out of the woods behind my house with a garter snake in his hand. I couldn't believe that that sort of thing was there because the neighborhood I lived in was, was like Philadelphia's version of Queens. Uh, it was row homes. You know, we had five kids in a three-bedroom row home. Um, and there were plots of, you know, land here and there, which really aren't there now. Um, but um, you know, it was the first time I realized I should pay attention uh, to the larger world around me. That there are these beautiful things, whether they uh, be birds, or you know, if you've ever come across something like a wolf spider, which you know, you're closest to Australia. You know how crazy spiders are. Um, but yeah. but when you're in Philly um those sorts of animals that you might be used to and say where you are or australia or other you know south america or other places they don't happen you know i mean most people think you know a squirrel is about as interesting as it gets but we literally at one point had weasels in our backyard um you know to to find uh, various snakes um if you know that you should even be keeping an eye out for these things um I don't know. To me, it's sort of like if you look hard enough, there are little jewel like things all around you and to learn to pay attention to that and to find them uh, just sort of adds, adds beauty on a, a more micro scale than we're used to. And I sort of like that quiet, small, beautiful things are all around us if, if we sort of pay attention.
0: And I'm guessing that that attention to detail is really important in your job.
1: Yeah. Also, my peripheral view is is crazy. Um, I'm so used to sort of looking around at things um, that any any slight movement, I I pick up on it very quickly. You know, the the attention to detail and, and design, illustration, that sort of thing. That was sort of also bred into me um, by my father, who, you know, I was thinking about taste the other day and and where do we get our tastes and and why are they different from others? And, you know, I think um, it is something that your parents, you know, you're born into a certain type of household and you're brought up a certain way and you then grow up and, and you sort of reflect to a certain degree, your parents and maybe your spouse or people around you that change you. But I, my father was a man of very good taste. And I know that sounds um, almost vain because I'm saying, well, then he must have passed that on to me or something. But it's like I, I did grow up in a, in a blue collar neighborhood where everyone was a cop and a fireman. And yet my father had an Austin Healey in the driveway, even though he had five kids. He had this gorgeous two car. I mean, two seater car. Um, and he was probably the only art director within, you know, 10 square miles of where we lived. So we did grow up a little bit differently and, um, you know, mid century furniture, all that stuff. And, um, I don't know, at this point, maybe this is starting to sound a little snooty, but, um, I, I was raised to pay attention to details and that, You know, God is in the details and design and art.
0: Yeah, well, with that in mind, if there were to be a biography of Paul Buckley, what would the cover look like, and would you design it yourself?
1: Oh, God. Um, I would like it to be all type. Not a snake? No, no. You know, um, the snake is sort of a... You know, the the snakes are a funny thing, because it is something that people bring up with me all the time, because they know this about me, and it's just... um, at a certain point, you actually get really tired of it because it's like, yeah, I used to do that, blah, blah. Um, but at a certain yeah. point, you, you sort of want to move on from being known as the snake guy. <laughs> and, and, and it, you know, to me, it's no more fascinating than, you know, snakes are a funny thing. They're so sort of looked down upon. Yeah, if you ran into a group of birders um, out in the woods, you'd think that was the most normal thing in the world. Yeah, some nerdy men and women looking for whatever, finches. Yeah, if you're somebody out there like flipping logs looking for snakes people are like what What are you doing why are you doing that so it's sort of after a while it gets annoying but no there would not be a snake on the cover i i don't know you know it's sort of a all type will suit be fine i'd like to leave it wide open because i think life is complicated and i, I wouldn't want it to be sort of brought down to one one single simple uh symbol elegant all type would just be suit me just fine
0: all right well i thought we'd move on to your life at penguin and i'm sure that there isn't a typical week or a typical day for you but could, could you give us maybe just a, an overview of what maybe your last week looked like or a fairly typical week
1: well there's a lot of management you know i, I have under my umbrella is is are, are roughly 32 people i think Um, a number of administrative people, um, uh, art clearance people, um, a bunch of art directors that oversee, I think there's 12 imprints under my umbrella right now. So that's, you know, maybe 10 different publishers that we're trying to keep happy. We do over a thousand books, book covers a year. I don't even know how many. Authors that is that we're branding, but it's a hell of a lot. So a large chunk of my time is just literally people walking in and out of my office all day and, and just sort of needing help with one thing or another. And it could be talking about schedules or talking about hires or, you know, a situation that they're having with a certain editor or a certain publisher. And in between these sort of constant uh, blips and interruptions, I'm, I'm usually working on, uh, working on something and trying to, you know, give that my, my focus. But I, I am constantly, um, my design process is constantly being interrupted. So I, I sometimes, you know, long for the days when I was a senior designer or a junior designer, and you just could spend the whole day sitting designing something and you were you rarely was someone coming over to you to sort of break through your headspace of where you're at so i'm constantly like hitting at something coming back hitting at it coming back hitting at it so it's it's a fair bit of management and dealing with editors and publishers and um troubleshooting um various things that are going on uh within you know these departments
0: and am i right in thinking that you then work into the evening to do your own stuff yes
1: that is actually i have a very strange schedule that, that people put up with i come in around ten thirty. usually that allows me to get a seat on the subway i sort of turn my schedule forward by an hour and a half different from everyone else so that sort of all of the mass humanity of new york is you know 80 percent of it is inside and not out when i am uh <laughs> Which I don't know. I take lunch at around three o'clock and then I leave here around, you know, seven, seven thirty. And when I come in at ten thirty, most people are sort of settled and in their groove and going. So it could give me a good hour to sort of you know, get myself set up with what I'm gonna do for the day and start working myself. And then people start coming in and then at around five, five thirty, it, it stops. And then, you know, I'm pretty good. I can actually sort of put on headphones, listen to music, and, and do a solid hour and a half, two hours of design at the end of the day. I gen- I don't take work home. I try very hard not to take work home. I'm also sort of at, at the point in life now where I, I don't take on freelance either. I mean, rarely. It, has to, um, it would have to be something very different from what I do because it's just, you know, for the extra... X amount of dollars you're going to get to give up many evenings of your life. It's just not worth it to me anymore. And plus the work I, I get to do here satisfies me to the point where I, I really don't need to be looking outside for um, other design work I'm, I'm pretty thrilled with sort of a setup that I have here and what I get to do.
0: Is there anything in particular that you do to switch off, you know, to have that separation between work and, and the rest of life? Because, I mean, as you said, you, you're always seeing things everywhere and getting inspiration and seeing different details. So I was wondering if there's anything that you do.
1: Yeah, I don't know that I, I mean, I, I do sort of get out in nature a lot. I do go hiking. Uh, my wife and I go away. Many weekends a year, or also many weeks a year. But I, I don't really switch it off. I, I sort of, um, I don't know. I don't believe in this this sort of separation of of work and and life. I believe life is just life, and if you enjoy what you do, uh, then work is part of that and it's I think it's like if you work in a factory yeah it's like you want to get home and you want to just turn it off but if you have a career in a craft you're sort of it's sort of you're always paying attention you're always thinking about what you're working on my wife is also an art director so in in publishing so um, you know we're sort of always talking about different things we're working on people we're working with uh, helping each other figure out maybe who we should hire for this job you know I mean, I certainly like everyone else. I I like to get, go home in the evenings and, you know, watch Westworld and have a nice, damn cocktail. You know, I'm no different than anybody else there, but I, you know, it's like, I, I I don't know. I don't, I like what I do. So I don't, I don't really shut it off. And plus, you know, you never know where you're going to find the next designer or illustrator, photographer. So I'm sort of always paying attention to the imagery around me that New York bombard you with and just learning who did that who did that who did that and sort of going home and googling them sending links to myself via email so that i'll bookmark them the next day in the office etc so i mean i guess you know like anyone else i you know i turn off with uh, radio tv but um it's not like a conscious thing where i'm just trying to separate work and work in my home life
0: well my next question was going to be related to what you just said about finding um, new talent and so it was well the question was how do you go about finding new talent do you use things like social media for that as well
1: i i do and i it's actually it's it's weird for the last couple of years i've been on instagram which is so rich with new talent and you know constantly new people are coming into the stream and I find myself following people, and then you know the the key for me is I have to remember to find their webs, go look at their website and bookmark it so that you know, because when I'm trying to figure out a cover, I don't necessarily go to Instagram and search there because it's a con you know it's not really searchable. It's like this sort of haphazard stream. But I have to admit that that's where I'm finding a lot of my talent lately. Um, but I wish it was more sort of organized orga- like you could organize it in a way where I could, well, actually it probably is a, a function where you can create folders but I don't I do not do it but it's something I sort of had to get a handle on because I realized that that is a, a big chunk of, of where I'm seeing new talent these days but then I sort of forget who they are and then in a stream of people you sort of don't find them again but it, many people um I get so many emails a day from people reaching out with their latest samples. People still send mailers, believe it or not. I see students, so I see their work, just things out and about, whether it be on the street or in magazines. But you know, it's in New York and in Brooklyn we're just and in this sort of job, we're just there's no sort of lack of stream of artists, you know, throwing stuff at you or that you're you're finding on your own. it's sort of a serendipity seems to play a a large role in in who I hire. Certainly sometimes I have a project where um, I sort of, you know, think about and it's like, yes, this, you know, a name pops in my head and I'm like, I want that person on this. But, you know, I'd say also 50, the other 50% of the time, it's just me thinking about projects, trying to solve it. And this might be going on for weeks and just through looking at things Something will jump out at me and I'll just make the connection. Oh, that's who should work on this project or one of the two or three people I might pitch. Um, it's you know, So I'm always sort of trying to match imagery to uh, books that I'm currently working on and, and trying to solve. So it, it is a lot about timing and who gets their images in front of me at, at, at a certain place in time. Uh, and whether it matches uh, certain titles that I'm working on at that moment.
0: And is there anything that illustrators and designers can do to make their stuff more memorable to you? Um, I mean, where they're, where you're actually remembering their name, I guess that's kind of the trouble, isn't it?
1: Yeah, you know, I think it's, it's really, um, at least for me, and everybody's going to be different for me, I think... Email works very well because embedded in the email, if I like this, and of course, hopefully they'll send samples. You'd be surprised how many people drop you an email and don't don't attach samples. It, embedded in their email is, is usually their website, so I can go there and just immediately bookmark it. It's, it's a little old-fashioned, but that's sort of how I work. I bookmark people, and then I sort of painfully have to go through these hundreds of... <laughs> This list of hundreds of names of people that I'm currently in love with. My colleague down the hall, Roseanne Sarah, she has a much smarter way about it. What she does is she builds Pinterest boards. So that way you sort of have a visual uh, instead of clicking on every, every link. It seems much smarter than me, but I've been so many years down this whole i'm hesitant to change though i should i I think people you know it's a two-way street i talk to classes about this all the time you know i always look at them and say okay so you have all this talent etc how are you going to get work how are you going to find the art directors and it always sort of i think you know there's always this mentality of well i'm waiting for them to contact me i think the thing that gets lost often on on people who freelance for a living be them you know photographers designers illustrators is well no it's it's a it's a two way relationship and you need to find the art directors as well so I, you know i i think people should research who's doing you know i can only talk about books but if you wanted to get into music packaging you would go you know you would look at music packaging and you would see who who the art directors and designers are that that seem to be doing good work um that is sort of consistent with the look of things that maybe you do and you would you know all of us have websites just like freelancers do. So you would reach out and, and send them samples. But I literally about five times a day, I get an email from someone saying, I'd really love to work with you and I click on their you know, their link or I check out their work and they are a one hundred percent a children's book illustrator. Or they're a Fiction illustrator and yeah. you know it's like you want to write back and say do you, did you even research you no know, and of course I don't but like so even though I say you know even though it's it looks like it's not a, a, a an email blast like it says dear Paul I love what you do would love to work with you you it's a lot of times it does make you wonder like really did you did you really do you really know what I do because I don't do children's books so you know I think it's just being smart about who you approach and and knowing who they are, I think another thing that gets lost is, you know, someone like myself, as I told you earlier, I'm so sort of heavy into management these days because I have designers and even juniors who commission possibly more books than I do in a season. And people are always reaching out just to art directors or creative directors, which is great but they should also know who are the up and coming junior designers, who are the designers. You know, if you pick up books and you see the same names over and over again, they, they, they might be a designer. You should look for their website, you should get their email, you should send them your samples if you think they would like your work, but you know, let them feel that you've done a little research on them, because generally when an art director reaches out to an illustrator or a designer, it's like, hey, love your work, would love to work with you on this project. I think that has to happen in reverse also. And you, it's good when people know who the designers and art directors out there are that they want to do work with and maybe create, you know, sort of two lists. You know, you got your email blast where you just send it and you hope that a fish hits. You know, you're just casting out into the wide open. But I think every two or three months, there should be um, a group of people that you truly want to work with. You understand what they do and you truly believe that you, you, would fit in with what they're trying to achieve. And, you know, just every two or three months, sort of hit them with, hey, updated my website, got some new work, attached a couple of pieces, you know, would really love to work with you, please keep me in mind. And that sort of gets back into the serendipity thing where, you know, if you're reaching out every two or three months, eventually something should happen. I have people that I, I mean, another thing is not to sort of lose faith because, you know, there are people that whose work i just always adored and it could be five or six years or even more till I get around to, to working with them because in all of that time, I haven't had the right project or maybe, you know, they don't, you know, I have people who, you know, send me samples for six months or a year and then they're like, oh, he's not interested. I'm not going to bother with him anymore. And then I forget about them and then, you know, It just doesn't happen for a couple of years after that until I'm reminded, oh, that person's out there. I forgot I love this person's work, et cetera. So I think it is is good to be consistent, probably not more often than two or three times a month. I mean, you know, every two or three months because that could probably be a little overwhelming.
0: Yeah, I I think the worry is that, well, for me at least because I I work freelance and I send things out to art directors, but I worry that if I do it too often – you know, I might do one every six months or something, but if I do it too often, then I'm just going to be annoying.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you certainly you don't want to be annoying because people are, are are busy, but you, you certainly it's 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 your job to reach out to people, and you have a right to do that. You're 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 trying to drum up work like everybody else, so you have to you have to do it, and it's just it's 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 sort of the more you know one of the more unglamorous things that we have to do is sort of just, you know, sell our wares. But what else are you going to do? You know, I, you know, for some illustrators um, who are just so painfully shy, I, I would suggest to them that they get a rep if, you know, you're not sort of good at this kind of thing. Maybe you need a rep and that that is what they do. But yeah, for, it's funny, you know, there's some designers, you know, to, to get back to you and freelance designers, some designers that, you know i will i can work with them for 5 years like consistent just work with them work with them work with them and then one day they just fall off the map and and then i realize like 3 days later oh my god i forgot about this person I wonder what and they just stopped for some reason never sending samples and it, it's you know the, the world is so flooded with talented people there's no lack of talented people out there that um you sort of do have to remind people you're out there or they just move on to the next thing as ugly as that sounds it happens it's sort of human nature but yeah maybe six months is yeah you know, maybe twice a year is um if that works you know that that's great you know but certainly it's good that you do it some people just i think they don't ever they're like oh he knows who i am and if he wants to reach out to me he will and and the fact is it's like now i i, I forget like anybody else and I'm not getting any younger. Um, my memory's getting worse. So, yeah, you should be sending me stuff and reminding me you're out there.
0: So do you prefer to get emails? Because you said you still get mailers. Are they effective as well?
1: They're effective. They're all right. Um, I just, I think email is sort of direct and easy and, and you can write a little note with it, which is always sort of nice, you know, make that sort of a connection with person. But, yeah, mailers are fine too. I'm I'm actually surprised people still do it to this day and age. But, um, yeah, Mailer, I, I just – I think it's good if you sort of at least can send a couple of things because if you send one one image for one design, you're sort of putting all your eggs in that basket and it might work for some art directors, but it's going to be sort of minimal. You know, it's so cheap and easy just to get your Epson machine and print up three images and sort of tri-fold it into a gatefold thing, staple it, and mail it, you know. Um, no reason to just send one image. But, yeah, I guess, you know, I, I prefer – just the random email because it, it already has like the web link in there and usually a, a note with a person introducing themselves and you know a couple of pieces of work attached. It's just very sort of direct and easy.
0: That's really interesting because I've heard different things from different art directors and I suppose just doing a, a mix of the two and, and seeing what works might be an effective strategy.
1: Yeah, I think early on and, and maybe still to this day, I think, you know, some art directors, why are you in my inbox and that just seems you know I've heard that before and that just seems kind of strange they're you know they're there because it's their job to reach out to you but yeah I think some people are sort of shy in the sense that maybe if they don't if they've never met someone or didn't have an ask like you mind if I send you emails like they're not going to do it and I, I think there's no I think you should be sort of smart but I don't think there's room for shyness when you're trying to compete against the sheer amounts of talented people that are out there who are not shy. Um, I think it's you can get in your own way.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think as
1: long as people are polite, hey, I saw some of the work you do, really like what you do, would love to work with you, here's my, here's my samples, it's like, you know, what's, what's wrong with that, you know? It is annoying though when, when, when people sort of have no clue what you're doing what I mean, what you do when they sort of act like you do, like the people you who know, are constantly sending me children's book illustrations or, you know, sci-fi or romance. I get a lot of romance illustrators, too, and photographers. It's like, God, I've, I don't think I've ever done one of these in my life. So it, it's it's it becomes pretty clear who's sort of clueless and who actually really sort of understands what you do.
0: Mm. So is it, ind- uh, is it sort of originality that you're looking for? When, when you get sent samples?
1: Yeah, certainly uh, distinction is, 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 is king. You know, that as well as, you know, people who are just amazing at their craft. But yeah, anything dis- distinct is just so hard to come by these days. Things that are just distinct and beautifully done and beautifully crafted and just not sloppy.
0: And experience? Are you looking for somebody who's been doing it a while or does, does that not matter? Not at all. No,
1: oh, it's actually exciting when I find somebody who's not that experienced, like, you know, finding Manuja Waldi and, and handing over, um, you know, 40 Shakespeare's to her to do when she was, I think, 22 or 23 years old. That made us all feel really good here. You know, it's like she at that young age obviously worked so much, so hard and put so much time and effort into honing this talent to sort of find that and say oh my god we're going to support you and we're going to give you all this work and let's go for it there's that's a lot more fun than calling up someone who's been doing this for 30 years and saying i want to i want to work with you i mean that's great too but it is always fun to find new young talent
0: and that is such an inspiring story the the one about the the pelican shakespeare's
1: yeah but you know if that hadn't have been me that would have been someone else she um is Waldia is so damn amazing that, um, yeah, that was just, that was just going to happen. So that's just, that's nothing but hard work uh, and practice and just sure, you know, hours put in. So yeah, that, w- that was, that was sort of a real fun thing for all of us. We're still working on them, too. It's oh, still
0: really?
1: I think we're up to, like...
0: Fantastic. Yeah,
1: I think we're up to, like, 35. Yeah. It's ongoing. She's she still got steam. She's a hard worker. <laughs>
0: and they're so distinctive, those designs. I haven't seen anything like it. That, I mean... I think it takes real vision to, to see something in that style and go, oh, yeah, that would work for Shakespeare. So that's, that's what I was really impressed with with those.
1: Well, that's part of the thing with um, redoing the classics. It's, it's like I think a lot of people get really scared. It's like, oh, my God, it's, it's this book. It's been done 100 times and, or more. And, and to me, that's sort of the freedom of it because, well, it has been done 100 times, and now it's so well known that you can come at it from a way you would not have been able to do with an original piece of fiction or nonfiction. So you don't have to be so conservative. And, and the thing with Shakespeare was, you know, thinking about it, i have been thinking about it for a couple months, really big commission. What am I going to do? How am I going to handle this? You know, giants like Milton Glaser I had been working on them, um, you know, it was exactly one of those serendipity things. An email popped in my box. She was really nice and I had some samples that I really loved. And I, you know, at that point, I wasn't even thinking about Shakespeare. And, and I went onto her website and, and she had two or three different styles, I think like three different styles. And she had these little animated pieces that were done in this very sort of uh, linear, computer generated um, vector style. And I was just looking through them and loving them. And, and, you know, sort of the light came on. It's like, wouldn't it be the best thing? No one has ever done Shakespeare, who is, you know, how many centuries old and thought, well, let's do these as vector as possible. And she just nailed it. And that whole package is her. You know, that's her illustration. That's her design. So not only, you know, is she this super young, brilliant illustrator, but she's also this classically trained designer so she's just like this outlier she's just this very young person with really serious chops um who again like i said i mean it's nothing but hard work and hours put in so it was sort of um, wonderful to sort of uh, for us all to hook up with her on that that project. But yeah, that was all through a random email.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. And and which Shakespeare's are you working on next?
1: Uh, we're in the we're in the deep 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 backlist now. Things that print like yeah. thirty copies a year. So God, don't test me. <laughs> don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> My
1: ignorance will show if I try to try to try to tell you which ones. But it's like we yeah you know, we sort of did the heavy hitters with her up front and. And now we're sort of at the, the very back end of, of, you know, things that are, are probably much more academic sales here and there, but um, not really big sellers.
0: There are people out there who want the whole set. So.
1: Uh, that's, you know, that's part of what we hope. You know, we we yeah. do drop caps A through Z, hoping that you'll want to buy A through Z, and, and certainly people do. Or just, you know, will you want all six horrors, or all six of the, the threads. Yeah, that's sort of always always the goal. And part of the goal with the classics always is, you know, we know that there are many other versions out there. And if you're, you know a struggling student, you can go on Amazon and buy a used copy of, of this or that. But you know when you're a little bit older and you have a little bit extra money, we're trying to create the most gorgeous packaged version we can maybe updated with a new introduction by some scholar who's very, uh, well-versed in the work, maybe with a brand new translation that's updated. We're trying to give you the best volume inside and out that we can, uh, that is also just a beautiful object so that, you know, objects, there's no reason why they should not be gorgeous things so it's nice working on the classics because that's exactly what we try to do here just maybe it'll be a few bucks more but maybe at some point in your life you'll realize that you haven't read this or you read it so many years ago and you want to read it again uh, and we want to give you the best looking bookshelf we can
0: so do, do you have any strategies when it comes to coming up with new ideas for these series or any particular research? Do you look at all the ones that have been done in the past? I I don't
1: really. I mean, I I might Google image some things, but um, no, I I, I mean, the goal is is to do something different. Like I said, distinction. You know, when when Elder Roder, the publisher of the classics, and and John Siciliano, editor of of the classics, said, you know, we want to do these these six sci-fi titles, how are we going to do this? You know it's, it when you look at sci-fi and fantasy packaging it's always and and for good reason i guess but it's always the environment because it takes place on this far off planet and it's crazy buildings and crazy creatures and like why wouldn't you paint that but i think it was john who who sort of threw out there what about all type and it was like yes that's exactly what we should do because again these are classics they may be science fiction but they're science fiction classics and why try to do what has already been done brilliantly many times before? The, the point is to try to come at them sort of askew out of left field a little bit and try to do that brilliant in a way that's never been done before to make people look at them anew. And so Alex Trocha reads these and comes up with this gorgeous way to, you know, sort of inhabit or invoke those worlds sheerly through the force of, of typography. And, and they have sold really, really well for us. And again, it's just this gorgeous, these gorgeous objects. I, I think it's a matter of just, you know, and, and it sort of dovetails into your question about, you know, do you turn it off or try to turn it off when you get home? It's like, you just never, you could be in the theater or watching a play or at a concert and watching a certain type of light show or, or just, I don't, I don't know. Anything can set off a trigger as to how to solve a, a project. And we're just always sort of percolating on things. And um, we're, we're just, it, it's just, I guess the, the, the answer is the first thing I explore is what hasn't been done uh, before or what seemingly hasn't been done before on on these types of books and and that's sort of what we what we try to pursue if we can find out a, a smart way to do that
0: I was wondering if do you ever come up with an idea for a series and then have to pitch that to an editor or does it always come the opposite way that we've got these titles that want to be, that we want to produce and we need new covers for them
1: it goes both ways you know the um the penguin inks was um an idea that came to me um when I was out researching getting I wanted to get a tattoo a snake obviously <laughs> and so I got one and done and it's a, it's a snake and you know it took me years and years and years to finally get this done because you know it's, it's pretty difficult being an, an art director and sort of Picking somebody that's going to put something visible on your body forever and ever. And I finally settled, uh, on Scott Campbell and was able to actually get him to, to, to do one for me and just sort of going through that process and researching that and seeing what amazing dressmen tattoo artists are. And I, I had realized, and this is going back a ways, but no one was tapping into tattoo artists for commercial work. I think there was a Camel ad that was done. That was the only thing I'd ever seen. And I it just sort of like it was again a light went off. Like, why isn't why aren't people working with these these guys on on very commercial projects? And wouldn't it be fun to do a series of books with them? So I went upstairs to my publisher. This is outside the classics. The the Penguin Inks are, you know, regular penguins. They are classic books, but they're not within our classic our Penguin Classics line. So I went up and talked to my publisher, Catherine Court, about this. And and she agreed that it was a good idea. And, you know, her and editors um, agreed to reach out to people like Don DeLillo and Martin Amis and the Kerouac estate and, and T.C. Boyle and um, David Foster Wallace's estate and say, would you allow us to do this? Melissa Bank. And wonderfully, they all just said, yeah, sign us up, which I thought was sort of fascinating because, you know, here it is their their tomes and they're allowing us to sort of allow tattoo artists to, to reinterpret them. But everyone, uh, was, 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 you know, good natured about it and, and game. And that sort of actually blew up on me a little bit, sort of blew up in my face. Um, I sort of realized why tattoo artists are not used a lot commercially. Or at least in my experience, my experience of it, what happened is, you know, tattoo artists are used to people walking into their office and instantly saying, OK, I want a dolphin on my ankle. And they do that and it's done, you know, or maybe they want a whole back piece. But like you map it out, you get it started and then it's done at a certain point. You know, it's like come in, we do the work, come in, we do the work. But it's this piece, it's this one piece and we're going to do this. Um, but mostly it's small things. You know, it's just people walking in off the street, boom, they're done, they're out. It's sort of a a short attention span type thing. It's like, give me this, I'm gone, next person. What I found trying to work with these people over months and months of, you know, okay, here's a sketch, I got to send it to the estate. The estate doesn't like this. Can we do this? Can we do that? Or, you know, or just even just getting the sketch. It became very, very difficult. And I would say 50% of the artists that I would hire fell out in one way or another project just went on too long for them, or they never got around to doing the sketch anyway. Um, of the people that I did hire, I had very good, um, outcomes with, but it never landed on their social media. You know, their Instagram would be like, here's a tattoo that I did today. Here's a tattoo. I did today. here's a tattoo. Today. But it's like, here's a book I did for this massive, uh, icon of American literature never, like they wouldn't post it. And I couldn't, I, I still did this I didn't understand that. <laughs> and, you know, it's like when we do these things, these covers, these deluxe classics with graphic novelists, and it's like, they're all over it and they help you, you know, especially today. It's like, we're, we just all need this sort of cross pollination and, and uh, social media platform from everybody. You know, it's like, we love it when artists, post their work and it's like here's what i did for penguin and you know and and then we post it and here's what so and so did for us and it's just like this very nice sort of communal thing that happens um and everyone's out there sort of saying hey check this out it wouldn't happen they just we couldn't get that to happen with the, these tattoo artists and then it's like at a certain point we're like we're not doing this anymore we wanted to do a whole line of them it's just like i don't know what it is but it was just not an agreeable undertaking, so you know I, I sort of like came down from that. I mean, I like the books we did, most of them, but the whole sort of it was not a, a it was not a good feeling project. so we, I sort of came down from that and was thinking about what I could do next. Um, and I was on Etsy and I found um this little this little sort of thread drawing, this little sewed. Drawing. I'm going to forget the artist's name now. My apologies to her. But So I bought it, and it was just this beautiful little sort of mermaid thread drawing. And I brought it up to Elda, and I said, Wouldn't this be sort of amazing to do a line of penguin classics like these? And, and we pitched them to Catherine, and Catherine loved it, and so we decided to do it. Uh, and that was sort of the birth of the penguin threads. And we were sort of, you know, we we're trying to figure out how to do them. Obviously we couldn't afford to have threads stitched in canvas. And so we opted for putting them on uncoated paper and just embossing the heck out of every single stitch. And they, they they came out beautifully. Jillian Tamaki did the first three, which I was sort of surprised that she took on all three. She did a, a, a gorgeous job, worked endlessly for I think three months. And, um, it, one, of the, one, one of these junctures, one of her canvases was in my office, and it was just this amazing, densely stitched, dimensional thing. And the back was peeling off, and I sort of looked behind. And the, the back of these threads are sort of crazy and amazing in their own right, just seeing the haphazard way that someone puts a needle through the canvas and then where it hooks in through the other side. So we wound up on the inside of the book, Corresponding mirror image, the back of the canvas of Wells, so you could see the, the the dirty sort of underpinnings of what these look like on the back, uh, compared to the gorgeous, concise nature of them on the front. I think unless you have a visual, my verbal description is not going to do it much much justice. But it was a really fun and unique project. So that that's two projects that are complete opposite from sort of you know testosterone filled. Tattoo series to, you know, a more delicate threads, Penguin Thread series with uh, Jane Austen, um, Black Beauty, and Secret Garden, and yeah, I, I pitched the thread, I mean the um, draft caps as well, and um, but you know, it, it goes both ways. A lot of the projects are Eldas, the horrors, the books, you know, the twelve books we did. The Penguin Orange series that we did with Eric Nyquist, etc I haven't pitched anything in a while, though. I'm due. I've got to get up there and pitch something. But, so, nicely, it goes both ways. It's, I've been around here long enough that I can walk upstairs and, and say, you know, let's think about this, and it, it you know, it, it'll get its day in, in court and possibly gain some traction if it's a good idea.
0: I was actually wondering that with the the Penguin drop caps, how that had come to be because it's such a specific idea. So, I take it you had seen Jessica Hish's. Daily Drop Cap series and you just went this would make a great series of books
1: Well sort of yeah I mean of course like everyone I had seen the the Drop Cap series I think I was on Pinterest and I was just you know it was a page of of cap letters new and old and I just again just thought this could be a really cool way to do a series of books let's just do the cap you know that's that's how I pitched it just the cap I didn't want the title or the author on the front of course, like everything, at first they they're like, that's a great idea. Let's do that. And then uh, sales or somebody in, and you have to put the titles on there. So we did them super, super small. Yeah. Um, but I really just wanted the cap to be the hero. But I went up there and, you know, it was sort of a bit of a thought process. I, I At first, you know, many series that I do, I try to have one person do one, another person do another, and another person do the other. Sort of the way I did the the inks or a lot of the um, classic deluxes. So my my thinking was, you know, maybe Alex Trocha will do one. Maybe Jessica will do another one. Uh, maybe Matteo Bologna will do another one. Um, and the more I thought of it, and I'm glad I finally came around to this. She owns drop caps, Jessica Heish. I mean, obviously she didn't invent drop caps, but she had been working so hard on that and brought them back in to the four and worked and done, did such beautiful work that i realized it's sort of maybe it would be wrong to not do them all jessica and i'm really glad that i, I, I made that decision and we, we gave all 26 to her and also at, the, at that point i didn't know how many we were going to do I, I don't ever ever pick titles i'll just give an idea and then the editor or the publisher picks the titles so I, I pitched the idea to Elda and then she's like, That's great, but let's do twenty six. It makes sense to do A through Z and, which was like, Wow, yes, let's do that and then after that I decided let's do them in a rainbow so that it's like a spectrum so that it starts on one Again, hoping you'll buy all 26 because you don't want a gap in your rainbow, but also because it would just be such a beautiful project. And then we, you know, we pitched it to Jessica and she was like, yes, hell yes, let's do this. So I'm, I'm very glad it went the way it went.
0: And they're just so cohesive in that style as well yeah. all, all the spines and, and the little motifs that sh- that she's designed as well
1: the spines are on me it's a it's a collaboration
0: oh, right. project
1: yeah um, I had a lot of fun with the spines um yeah yeah we decided early on that it was going to be a collaboration and Jessica did the drop cap and she would give it to me in layers so that we could pick whatever colors that we wanted to do them in because we knew we were going to do them in two colors and then you know it was up to me and Brianna, who I was working with at the time, to and Kristen Half, also Brianna Hart and Kristen Half, who who really helped me sort of lay out this project to to get the colors nailed down and what would work. And it was a bit of a problem because these pigmented foils are very sort of, you know, they're hard to work with. They come in a roll to the printer, and if you pick an exact color, the next roll of that exact color six months down the road might be completely different for some reason, there's great variability. I don't understand why. Uh, and then when these foils hit the board, they they change, uh, especially depending on what color they lay down on. So we were, we had to proof some of these two or three different times and it gets super, super expensive. Um, thank God they did well because we were really sweating it because it cost us such a ton of money to to, to put this series together and then put them out there into the marketplace and I had talked them into a three-color, a three-color uh, top stain. Well, what we call a top stain, but it's a three-sided top uh, stain all the way around the edges of the book. So we just we sunk a ton of money into them, but it, it, luckily they're they're doing quite well. But yeah, um, so it was it was very much a collaboration between a bunch of people putting this whole series together.
0: Oh, I didn't realize that.
1: Yeah, no, it was, yeah, it was it was it was a cool project. But I had a ton of fun putting those spines together
0: yeah i'll bet <laughs> all right so sort of running out of time here i've got a couple of last questions so i mean there are so many horrible awful things going on in the world and sometimes i feel like what am i doing just trying to make pretty pictures i should be doing something more important with my life what what would you say to that why do you think i'm assuming you do think that book design and, and literature is, is really important. That's a fair assumption to make. Um, so why do you think it, it matters?
1: I think anything that adds beauty or levity or just nicety to the world is extremely important. And then, if you're working on books, you're certainly working on part of the solution and, and not the problem. You're working on you know a part of the fabric of the world that is furthering conversation and you're helping an author who has something very important to say, get out there into the world. You're giving them an identity and you're giving that cover, hopefully the right voice to reach the most amount of people that it can to keep that convert, to start that conversation or keep that conversation going or to further that conversation so that we can move ahead as a smart and decent species
0: wise words
1: was that, that sounds pretty good practice <laughs> <laughs> that, sounded like I that. We, we
0: need to put that into a separate little clip <laughs> and just post it all over the internet
1: that's my sidebar yeah um, but it's yeah. true I mean I, I I have been doing this for 29 years and sometimes I feel you know like an idiot like why have you been doing this for so long and that's like well because there's worse things you could be doing this is this is a really being involved in, in publishing is just um, sort of a blessing. It's an awesome thing to take on. Plus, in books, you just, I, I work all day with people that are, that are so much smarter than me and they're just good, decent, intelligent people. And I think, you know, probably 90% of the world wishes they they had that. So. I'm really happy to be here.
0: And what's what's next for you? Have you got any exciting projects coming up that you can tell us about?
1: Um, I'm working on lots of things. I'm still working on the Coatsia backlist. Just did a new package for Ben Laurie. It tells of falling and flying. And working on lots of John Lacare stuff and Ken Follett stuff. And just did a, worked on a really nice book for Alex Gilvary. Eastman was here and various penguin packaging but yeah there's lots of stuff going on but uh just varied
0: well so if people want to keep up to date with what you're doing and what penguin is doing where should they go on the internet
1: on you know you can look at my personal instagram but maybe even better is the instagram of penguin art group which is which is my group of people and we post uh you know a a small scattering of of all the things that were working on in across those 12 imprints and you'll see a, sort of a nice wide array of various things by various very talented designers and art directors within this group
0: wonderful well thank you so much this has been absolutely amazing and i mean i, I feel as though i could keep asking you questions all day thank you
1: thank you holly thank you so much it was fun and, and you know i really appreciate it
0: if you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. Please be sure to rate and review us too. This show is hosted by Holly Dunn and edited by Eric Wilder. Our theme song is "Sweet Berry Wine by Blue Wednesday. And Spine is a production of Spine Magazine. For show notes, articles, audio and video about the enormous talent that goes into creating books, visit spinemagazine.co.